I had a conversation with somebody this week who had been talking to some people. And apparently somebody said, oh, I come to church and it's all very lovely, I get a lovely welcome, but I don't really feel convicted. I'm going to make a bold statement and I might be wrong. My conviction this morning is this, if by the end of this talk you do not in some way feel some sense of conviction, you have simply not been listening. I'm going to read some words that um, the old boys, as I called them, in the church as I grew up, Major Max and his brother Pat Darling were about 93 feet tall and they were very, very old. Turns out they used to drop eggs off the balcony in the church when they were kids, apparently, but I don't believe that. Every time they preached, they read this verse, and I'm reading it deliberately in the context of what follows this morning. You might want to say, Amen, if you agree with it. I'm reading the last verse of Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You might like to turn to James chapter 3, because I'm going to read from there in just a minute. And if you're regularly here, you'll know that we're going through this um, letter that James wrote to the church. And Chris and I have been talking about it, and then we're finding it really challenging, aren't we, Chris? And I um, hope you're finding it challenging in a different sort of a way, but we're finding it challenging. And today we have the glorious privilege of thinking about how we speak. I need a volunteer, and I'm not going to pick on the four people who remain in the front row. It's very simple. I just need somebody to squeeze a bit of this toothpaste out onto that little thing there. Don't squeeze it all because I need to use it in the second service as well. Okay, thank you. That's good. Right, that's pretty predictable, isn't it? If you squeeze a toothpaste tube, out comes the toothpaste. Here's the bigger challenge. I would like somebody now to volunteer to put that toothpaste back in the tube. Okay, that's the point. Thank you, Ian. We all know it's impossible, don't we? Or you're going to get yourself into a really big mess, aren't you, Ian? Yes. We would all agree that that is impossible, wouldn't we? Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it doesn't go back. And here's the challenge. I think that there is a deep truth that once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it won't go back. That has something to say to us deeply and profoundly about what we say. Here's what James thinks about it. I'm going to read from James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what we, in they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. 
When we put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So how are you doing, friends? I'm wondering how what you say and what you speak about tells a story of who you are. We know that words are extraordinarily powerful, don't we? Think for a moment of the things that have been said to you or about you that have had an impact on your life. One of my struggles in life is simply the belief that I am never quite good enough. So this sermon will not be good enough. And in fact, yesterday morning, I went with Lisa to do some counselling in Rygate. I sat in the Costa coffee shop, because it really works for me, and I wrote up my notes, watching all the people come in and go out. I had an awful journey home. Happens every week, because once I've written up my notes, I'll write it off, because it will never be good enough. Most probably, that belief is words that were said and words that weren't said over many, many years. It will be true that there will be other factors that will have had a strong influence, but it is still true that words spoken or unspoken will have had a significant part to play in shaping belief. It is also true that positive words were said to me or about me will have had a a significant impact on who I am and what I do and am doing right now in these very moments. One year, on a beach in North Wales in a town called Nevin, following the first sermon I ever preached, someone came up to me and said this to me about my preaching. And I can quote it to you word for word. You should do it because whatever it is, you've got it. A man named Bill McClellan once said these words to me after I preached here in this church. 
Ian, open windows. And it is my belief that that's what I'm doing this morning. I am here today preaching this sermon, serving as the minister of Crawley Baptist Church because people, people spoke words to me that had a profound impact on my life. And my best guess is that in some way, the same is true for you. Some of us still, now, in these moments, live with the pain of words spoken to us or over us or about us. For some of us, I suspect that that pain is deep and profound. Friends, we need to hear words of truth. Now, I am very conscious that what I am about to say is very easy to say, but I will say only that of which I am convinced. And just for the record, I am still a pilgrim on this precise journey. Words of truth about who we are in the kingdom of the heavens and the truth about God are healing, restorative, and transforming. Let me say that again. Words of truth about who we are in the kingdom of the heavens, which is what we've been singing about this morning, and the truth about God are healing, restorative, and transformative. And if you live today with words of pain, in the pain of words spoken over you or to you or about you, then I would invite you to find whatever way you can to explore biblical Christian truth. But I would also say be very wise about how you do that. And I am a pilgrim on that journey. That is why I didn't go this week because he couldn't do it. I go and see somebody regularly and I talk about pain. And I am still doing it. But I want biblical Christian truth which will be transformative, restorative and healing in my life. And I would invite you on the same journey. I do hope too that you have experienced the life-giving, life-transforming power of words. Words are powerful. There are many ways words are powerful. The power of the lilt and rhyme of the creativity of poetry the sweet, intimate words lovers speak to one another. The forceful words of a coach urging their team to victory. And there were many of them spoken yesterday in the Rainbow Lounge, which sadly had no effect whatsoever. I think they just couldn't hear us, otherwise it would have been fine. The rising crescendo of words in an argument. The inflaming power of oratory of someone like Hitler. The seductive words used in advertising. The smooth, persuasive words of politicians wanting us to support and follow them. The creative words of a salesperson. The loaded words of graffiti. The seriousness of the words of a judge passing sentence. The urgency and panic in the words of a parent looking for a lost child. Words are powerful and speech is our most powerful faculty. So how are you doing, friends? 
Here's a challenging thought. Our words are never neutral. All our words have significance. The Bible is full of relationships affected by words that were either helpful or unhelpful. The words of agreement between Abraham and Lot as they separated in Genesis 13. The words of deceit between Rebekah and Jacob as they conspired against Isaac and Esau. The words of compassion spoken by Joseph to his brothers when he reveals to them who he is in Genesis 45. The words of love between Naomi and her daughters when she returns to Israel. The words of confrontation as Nathan challenges David over his adultery with Bathsheba. The words of treachery from Absalom towards his father David. The words of threat from Jezebel to Elijah that forced him to flee for his life. The words of inspiration spoken by Nehemiah to Israel that caused them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The empty words of Job's friends. When it comes to living the Christian life, James is telling us that words are really, really important and that our tongue is key to how we will live. Now, we probably don't think about it the way, we don't think about it as being as important, I don't think, as James is going to tell us. So James tries to get our attention in the first verse by telling us something quite shocking. He says in verse 1, don't become a preacher. I, I, that's a bit unfair, isn't it? I, we tend to think that the gifts that we can see, like the ones of being up front, preaching, teaching, leading, worship, are the most important gifts. And the ones that we aspire to. After all, why do we rush off to hear great speakers Or to go to great worship. I never have anyone come up to me and say, Ian, I was listening to this great preacher online. It happened to be you. You tell me about all the other preachers you're listening to. You never, you do it all the time. James fires a warning, and his warning is this those who speak about the truth need to be very, very careful. Those who speak about the truth should live lives that reflect that truth. And that haunts me every time I get up to preach. Because sometimes, mostly I'm thinking, if only they knew. (laughs) That is a deep and profound challenge when we speak about the truth. In verses 2 to 5, James is making a powerful point that we all make mistakes as followers of Christ, but that perhaps the most powerful ones are to do with what we say. He seems to be saying, if you read it again, that to be truly perfect, you'd never have to make a mistake in what you said. Is that you? So how are you doing? You've never, met, you've never said a hasty word? You've never made a statement that isn't entirely true? You've never made a sly suggestion? 
You've never spoken a hint of gossip. You've never uh, said an unhelpful innuendo. You've never made an impure statement. You've never said anything that is in any way impure. It's quite hard, isn't it? James' illustration about the horse and the bit and the ship and its rudder make this powerful point. Control your tongue and you control how you live. Control over the tongue leads to the master control of how we live. There is a deep truth here, friends. We have a problem with our tongue and it is a battle that affects how we live. I have a fuse box in my house, or more accurately, it's your house. But in the house that I live in, which you own, there is a fuse box. And you'll all have one. In it are fuses that control various electrical circuits in the house, the downstairs, the garage, the upstairs. If there is a problem in one of those areas, I can flip the switch on the fuse box, and I, that controls that circuit, and I can either isolate or avoid the problem. Yeah? You can do the same, right? Sometimes, when there is a fault in the circuit, the, a, the circuit switch will trip itself, won't it? And out go the lights. And it does so to protect the rest of the home. There is, though, a master switch that controls all the circuits. Turn that one off, and you turn them all off. What James is saying here is this. If you control the master switch, you control the fuse box. And for James, the master switch in your life is your tongue. Of all the battles we face in our fallen humanness, the battle for control of our tongue, James says, is the most significant. So how are you doing? Perhaps another way of saying it is this. To control your tongue is more than simply the evidence of your spiritual maturity. It is, in fact, the means to it. To control your tongue is more than evidence of your spiritual maturity. It is, in fact, the means to it. Perhaps another way of saying that is this. If you want to live well in the kingdom of the heavens, take control of what you say. With his allusion to fire, James points out the damage the tongue can do. I don't need to tell you anything about that, do I? Because you all know about that. Don't you? Well, you don't look very convinced. Are you, do you all know the damage that the tongue can do? Yeah, okay, so there it is. Boom. So how are you doing? How does what you say affect those around you? How does what you say affect this church community? In verse 7 and 8, James alludes to the untamable nature of the tongue, which is an interesting thought. 
he seems to be leave hanging the thought that the tongue, in fact, cannot be tamed. That's what he says. Which would render this sermon pointless, wouldn't it? <laughs> no point telling us to do something we can't actually do. Well, if it's true that the first sin as a result of the fall in Genesis 3 is a sin of speech, or in other words, a sin of the tongue, which is Adam saying something which is untrue about God, then it's worth noting that the first act of the new creation at Pentecost was the transformed speech of the disciples declaring the wonderful truth about God. I think James just wants to get you thinking. James also points out our inconsistency when we speak well about God and speak ill of others. So we've just sung all those lovely things about God and we'll probably sing some more lovely things about God in just a moment. And then how are you going to speak to one another when we go out and have coffee? What are you going to say to somebody else about the sermon this morning? Just a thought. James simply says, this should not be. Don't do it. Don't say lovely things about God and nasty things about people. It's quite clear, isn't it? And his point is this. This is something we need to address if we are followers of Christ. Because it should not happen. By asking if a fig tree can grow olives or a grapevine figs, James is actually getting to the heart of it now because he's asking about your heart. So how is your heart? Jesus himself says, doesn't he? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Maybe James invites us in answer to think this way. I can tell how my heart is by how I speak. I can tell how my heart is by how I speak. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? At least it is for me. Because when I speak to you, I am giving you an insight into my heart. Perhaps it's helpful to think about it this way. Out of what kind of heart do these kinds of words come? Encouragement, advice, truth, praise, support, correction, rebuke, honor, wisdom, rejoicing. Out of what kind of heart do these kinds of words come? Discouragement, rumor, lies, gossip, flattery, curses, blasphemy, jeering, taunts, condemnation, sarcasm, foolishness, grumbling. So I ask again, how is your heart? 
James wants us to live well. Jesus wants us to live well. In fact, he said that he had come that we might have life in all its fullness. That seems to me to be wanting us to live well. James wants us to grasp how important control of our tongue is in how we will live. Words have an awesome power. They can create or destroy relationships. They can build up or tear down relationships. They can make or break relationships. They reveal our hearts. So the question again is, how are you doing? There is a story of a man who went to a rabbi with a question. Rabbi, he said, I understand why God commands us not to kill or steal, but I don't understand why he tells us not to tell lies against our neighbor. The rabbi replied, there is an answer and I will give it to you, but first I want you to get some feathers and place one on the doorstep of every house in the village. When you have done that, come back and I will give you the answer. The man did as the rabbi said and returned to the rabbi. Now, rabbi, what is the answer to my question? Ah, the rabbi said, there's one more thing I want you to do before I give you the answer. Go and pick up all the feathers. I can't do that, the man replied. They will have been blown away by the wind. That would be impossible. That is what is like with words. Once spoken, we can never retrieve them, the rabbi said, and why we should be careful with our words. Amen.